month of May, which means that there are many television shows that are coming to its season's end, or maybe its end of its run completely. And I don't know if you're someone that likes to watch actually television shows on TV and not just like Netflix, things like that. But if you are, I wonder, are you kind of a crime show person that you like to try and figure out, you know, who is the one that did it and try and figure out all the evidence? Maybe you're someone that likes medical shows and just there continues to be drama in the ER. And so you love trying to figure out all that or just coming alongside those, those people. Maybe you are a comedy person and you just love to like not think and laugh. And that's kind of who you are as far as when you're watching something. Or you're a reality TV guy, you know, you want to watch things that are actually happening and things that aren't staged, or maybe they are, I don't know. But anyway, you enjoy just watching those aspects in reality TV. Maybe you're a game show person and you love trying to figure out, you know, the puzzles before they do, or even just the newer kind of competition shows, whether it's singing or cooking or, man, that person's got talent. You know, whatever it is, you love watching that. Maybe you are none of those things. You're like, I watch the news or I watch sports or you're like, yeah, our television doesn't turn on. That's okay. And so anyway, I don't know what kind of person you are, but some of those shows at the end of the season, they wrap up everything, but oftentimes they leave one cliffhanger at least to keep you intrigued to come back for the next season. And sometimes they'll just finish off and you're kind of like, huh? Like that did not accomplish what I think they were trying to uh, accomplish. And many shows, they try to tug at your heartstrings. The idea you've built a connection with certain characters, you know, throughout the seasons, you've given so much time um, just to investment with them. And so in a couple of the shows that I keep up with recently, there have been people who have desperately needed an organ transplant, whether it's because of some sort of car accident or like uh, their body is simply failing. And so for them to be able to survive, they have to have this life-saving surgery. And oftentimes it works, but sometimes it doesn't. And when it does, like we can be excited because, hey, someone's life was saved. But when we step away from just television and when those things happen in real life, like the word thankful doesn't seem to do it justice because someone that we know or we love has the chance to continue to live. And in our text today, Israel, who are the people of God, they needed a heart transplant. They needed a heart transplant. And so if you don't know a whole lot about Israel, I'm going to give you a super quick history lesson. Way back in the Old Testament, there's this guy named Abraham that God says, I am going to bless your descendants. And so these people become the people of Israel. Later on, Moses, God uses him to free the Israelites from the hand of the Egyptians. Then later, Joshua is used to help the Israelites go into this promised land, this land that had been promised way back to Abraham, saying, someday your descendants will have this. And then the people of Israel, they're led by judges and then by prophets and even eventually by kings. And many of those kings were good, but many of them were not. Many of them chose not to do things the way that God had told them to. And so God sent so many messengers again and again and again to tell the kings, to tell the people, you need to change your hearts, you need to change your attitudes, your actions. But as we talked about last week, there were consequences to choices. And the people of Israel chose not to come back to God. And so at one point in history, Israel splits into two kingdoms, into Israel and into Judah. And so in 732 BC, Israel is taken captive by this country called Assyria. And then a little while later, Judah, who at least had had some good kings during this time frame, was taken captive by Babylon. 
only not just in one setting. There were three different times. And so in 605, Babylon comes in and they kind of take the first set of people, which was the king, his family, a few other people, which included a man named Daniel. So when you read through the book of Daniel, that's because he's been taken with that first group. And then not long later, in 597, there's the second group of people taken away. And so this is the new king and all of his court and a whole lot of the officials. In fact, the Bible tells us 10,000 people were taken to Babylon from Jerusalem during this time. And then in 586, the third group was taken. At this time, anyone who was left, unless you were the poorest of the poor, you were taken out. And at this point, Babylon had complete control. And during that second deportation, there was a prophet named Ezekiel that was part of that group. Now, you need to know, during captivity, the people, they lived pretty normal lives. I mean, they weren't enslaved. They weren't persecuted. They could marry. They could build homes. They could plant gardens. They could assemble. And they could even rise to high positions in the government. But even during this time, many of the people's hearts did not turn back towards God whether they were in Babylon or they were one of the few still in Jerusalem. And so Ezekiel, who was to be a priest, he saw a vision from God when he was 30 years old. 30. That was the time frame when priests began their responsibilities. And this vision was probably something that was very helpful to him personally, because up to this point, his experiences had not been great. Like Jerusalem had been overtaken, the place that he knew. And during his siege, um, his wife had actually passed away. And God gave him specific instructions not to publicly weep or mourn for her. And all of that was part of a message for the people. And so he was probably even still during the mourning time, again privately, for his wife when Babylon comes in and marches him out of his country into Babylon. And so just about everything seems to maybe be going wrong. He's quite possibly wondering, man, where is this promise of God's blessing? How is this going to fit in with what I'm seeing with my own eyes? And as I said, God gave him a vision. And he also gave him a message to share to the people. And it was a message of judgment from God towards Israel, towards the surrounding nations, and then specifically for Jerusalem but even as Ezekiel spoke this message of judgment for people, they didn't listen. Like, there was no repentance whatsoever. But luckily, the message didn't stop there. Because attached to the judgment news was also a message of hope that was coming from God towards Israel and towards the surrounding nations and then for all of creation. And so one example that we need to look at today is in Ezekiel 36. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, turn to Ezekiel 36. It's probably a book that you don't turn to quite often. But what you need to know is in the context of our passage today, God has just said that Israel's conduct is described kind of as defiling the land that God had given to them. And they are seen as unclean in his sight. So he's just said, you guys have messed up. And so that's where we're going to get to in verse 18 of chapter 36, reading simply verses 18 through 21. And so again, these words that he's just mentioned is, Israel, you're not doing well. And so, starting at verse 18, So I poured out my wrath on them, because they had shed blood in the land, and because they defiled it with their idols. I dispersed them among the nations, and they were scattered uh, through the countries, I judged them according to their conduct and their actions. And wherever they went among the nations, 
they profaned my holy name. For it was said of them, these are the Lord's people, and yet they have to leave their land. I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel profaned among the nations where they had gone. And so just in that text, again, he's saying, hey, your conduct is not good. And he says, the reason is because you have been following these false idols. And that is what has led you into captivity. That is what has led you into this judgment. And you have not represented God well with your words, with your actions, with your hearts. And yet, as I said, it's not just a message of judgment. There's also a message of hope. And so just a few verses later, down in verse 24, from verses 24 through 27, listen to the hope here. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you back from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And so even after this judgment message, he says, but I will bring you back. Though you will be scattered, I will bring you back. You will come back home and I will cleanse you from all of those impurities. That is that sin that you have. That is not how I'm going to look at you with all that you have done. I'm going to give you a new heart one that is of flesh and not of stone, one that is alive, and I will place a new spirit in you, one that even helps you to follow after me step by step, day by day. And then as you keep reading, it goes on to talk about how the land that they're going to live in will provide for the people and how the cities, they're going to be filled with people as they come to follow after him. And God says that you will be my people and I will continue to be your God. There's this judgment it's also combined with hope. And so then there's a vision that God gives to Ezekiel, which is recorded in chapter 37. And so that's what we're going to look at for quite a while here. In chapter 37, just starting right from the beginning, here's what God shows Ezekiel. It says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. And so here we are. Ezekiel is brought out, and he sees all these bones. And I don't know what you think of when you just hear that word, like, do you picture some sort of bone? Do you think like skeletons at Halloween time? Do you think of Thanksgiving and like the wishbone that you pull? You know, maybe you're like a Lion King fan. And so you think of the elephant graveyard or something like that. Maybe you're someone that, man, remember when I broke that bone and all that stuff happened there? Maybe you're hungry and you're like, mm, chicken wings and the bone that's afterwards. I don't know. Like, but there's all these bones that Ezekiel sees as far as you can see from one way to the other. And he's walking among them. And God simply asks him, can these bones live? To which Ezekiel says, well, you're the one that knows the answer, which is the right answer. But anyway, he continues on in verses four through six. He says, then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, 
and you will come to life, and then you will know that I am the Lord. And so God gives Ezekiel this task. I want you to speak to the bones on my behalf. Tell them that I'm going to bring them together. I'm going to put tendons upon them. I'm going to put flesh upon them. I am going to breathe life into them, and then they will know that I am God. You see, great things are going to happen, and there's going to be no question as to who is the one in charge. And I want you to think about those moments in life that are so full of amazement that you have absolutely no doubt that it was the hand of God. And this is one of those situations that God is saying to Ezekiel that no one will question it. They will know that this was the hand of the Lord. And so continuing on in verses 7 and 8, we see Ezekiel says, So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And so Ezekiel, he spoke what God had told him to, and he begins to hear this rattling sound. And I can imagine these bones starting to shake and then start to come together. And almost it seems cartoonish. You know, you can almost see these bones coming together and looking at this thing. But I can guarantee for Ezekiel, it was very real. There was no cartoon factor whatsoever. And he's watching this happen. And then tendons and flesh begin to cover these bones. That word flesh can also be translated body. And so all of it's coming together. And finally, these bodies are covered with skin, but there's still no life in them. There's no life until we get to verse 9 and 10. It says, Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life. And they stood up on their feet, a vast army. And so finally, after all that has been said, breath comes in. That same word breath can also be translated spirit, which we sometimes use for the Holy Spirit. And so God sent breath as Ezekiel spoke. And the bodies that once were only bone, they've come to life. And remember, the valley was so full of bones. So now these bones have become this numerous army. And so to finish up, here's what is said in verses 11 through 14. And then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. O my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and I bring you up from them. And I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. And then you will know that the Lord has spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. And so now it's lesson time. At the end of all this, it's lesson time for Ezekiel. He's not just showing him these bones for fun. He says, what you see is a representation of Israel. That right now, they're nothing but bones. They're dried up. There is no hope. They have been completely cut off. Essentially, they are dead. But as the song that we sometimes sing says, God is the one who turns graves into gardens or bones into armies. These bodies, God's people, they will have His Spirit in them 
they will live. And as this happens, people will know that the Lord is God. And again, as we read all this, do you hear the message of judgment? Oh, but it's followed by hope. And it all comes from God. So this idea of dry bones, like they showed the spiritual state of Israel, but God would choose to revive her. And if you know history at all, or if you know the Old Testament, God does bring his people home as he promised. They rebuild their city, they rebuild their homes, they rebuild the temple, and their lives are blessed in so many ways as they continue to follow after him. And though this vision that we read about really was specific to what God was going to do for Israel, he continues to give new hearts, and he continues to bring life today to those who were once dead. And so I want to focus on three areas that we get to experience this today. And the first is this, that God brings new life to nations. He brings new life to nations. And all that we read was going to be done for the nation of Israel. Because they had fallen away as a people, that brought judgment upon themselves. But God almost pro- or also promised that hope, and he delivered. And so can God still bring life to nations today? Absolutely. Like if you just went to a Google search and typed in, you know, nations that have experienced some sort of revival, you might get to read of moments in China or of Congo or of Eastern African religions or nations or just down the list, you'd read of these different spots where God comes in and he works in unique ways, where prayers have been answered. Revival shows itself, whether it's through a change in government or a change in the culture or a change in the people. But maybe even as you're sitting there right now, you're like, yeah, but have you seen the state of our country right now? Like, I wouldn't just say it's a good place. Like, just watch the news. You see broken homes and divorce and violence and poverty and human trafficking. We see that people are scattered and disorganized. And, man, they're just fighting with one another. And people celebrate what is evil. and They condemn what is good. People, they value reason over faith or tolerance over truth, or even pleasure, over purpose. And even though there's still a lot of good, and even though our country is still worth fighting for, man, there's a lot of things that we're just not in a good place right now. And I would agree with you. But I would also say this, that countries have been in pretty bad places before, and revival still has broken out. And how does that happen? It's because people continue to cry out to God, and He is more powerful than any amount of evil can ever be. Like those giants that sometimes we look at pale in comparison to him. And so listen to another promise that was given to Israel, but God still answers it today. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, and then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin I will hear their land. And that verse could be a sermon all of itself. And you have this if and then, but if my people, if they're going to humble themselves, if they will seek my face, if they will pray, if they will turn from their wicked ways. You see, even just praying is not enough because there's all this other action that God wants to happen too. He says, if that happens though, I will hear, I will heal, and I will forgive. You see, God has the power to breathe life into nations if they seek him. I don't know if you know this, but the United States has an official motto. Do you know what it is? 
We have an official motto. In fact, um, it is, maybe I'd help you out by saying it's four words. So maybe that helps a little bit. Maybe if I told you that it's found on our $1 bill, our $2 bill, our $5 bill, our $10 bill, our $20 bill, our $50 bill, our $100 bill, like it's found on all of those. Our national motto is there. Maybe by now you figured it out. Our motto is, in God we trust. Like that is our national motto that was um, solidified by Dwight D. Eisenhower in 1956. And so then even in 2006, it was reaffirmed going, hey, this is 50 years. This is our national motto. What's interesting is it was actually voted upon in 2002 and 2011 by people going, is this really something that we still want to be our motto? And they convincingly said, yes, it is. Man, I love that those words are our motto, but I would love it even more if we lived it out completely. Like, I really would. Can you imagine if we as a country, we fully sought God and his provision? And I know that even just sitting here, like that can seem like a stretch, but absolutely nothing is impossible with God. And so let's seek Him and ask Him to work on our hearts that our government may change, that our culture may change, that people may change. And let's humble ourselves. And let's seek His face. Let's turn from our wickedness and let's pray that our nation, as well as other nations, would seek Him and get to experience real life. But that's not the only entity that God can change. You see, God can also bring new life to the church. He can bring new life to the church. And Israel, yes, even though they were a nation, they were the people of God. And the people of God today are the church, those who follow after him. Now, I'll tell you this, that not everyone who sits in a church building is a follower of Jesus yet. Okay, But our desire, as well as Jesus' desire, is that everyone would hear the message and it would change their lives. And that those who would call themselves a Christian would truly follow after him and obey him and love him. But how can a church be compared to dry bones? Well, perhaps those who are meeting together, they've become more about following rules than following God. And we see this with the Pharisees during the time of Jesus to be honest, their desire was probably coming from a genuine place of, I want to do what God wants me to do. But in their de desire to do so, they made up so many extra laws to follow that were never God's design, all with the purpose of not breaking his original laws, but it created such an extra burden for people. They worked so hard to carry those out that they became weary. And some wondered, why is it so hard to connect with God? Many hearts missed the entire relationship aspect, all because the intention to do good actually replaced loving God. And so Jesus went so far as to call the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. He said, on the outside, you look so beautiful, but on the inside, there's nothing but dead bones. And many Pharisees, they looked alive, but below the surface, they were decaying. And today, a church may be so much about do this or don't do that, that they end up missing the entire purpose of what God wants for them to fulfill. And in a desire to do what's right, people maybe even exclude people. Like they don't show love, they don't show grace, because it becomes all about legalism. And someone who walks in the door for the first time, if they're not up to Jesus' standard, they're looked down upon and deemed unworthy. And without even knowing it, without even trying to get off course, a church can become a bunch of dry bones. 
Or on the other end of the spectrum, a church may not want to, they may want people to feel so good about themselves that they don't really preach truth. And I'm not saying they don't, they don't preach, you know, outright lies, although sometimes the things that they say aren't found anywhere in God's Word. But there's a lot of times that I don't want to turn people off to Jesus. And so words like sin or repentance are never mentioned. Becoming a Christian is made as easy as possible, and there's never any talk about dying to yourself, which are Jesus' words. Ultimately, the idea of costing you something to follow Jesus is foreign to these churches. And the words, follow me, are simply replaced by, all you have to do is believe. And the majority of sermons are about the blessings that God has for you. And while it is true, man, God has so many blessings for his children, and he desires you to be able to fill this, have this life that is filled with love and with purpose. Following him still has a cost. It has buy-in. And to follow him, I must realize the state of who I am, or the state of who I was without Jesus. I was nothing but dry bones. And sure, there was some good, but like when I take a really close look at it, there's also selfishness and greed and pride. And those can be displayed in so many different ways. But then I must be willing to repent, to change my ways, to live for Jesus. And part of that comes by having a new heart, a heart of flesh, instead of a heart of stone, and only God can give that to me. But He doesn't give it to me if I don't truly seek Him, if I don't ask Him for it. And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself, or you must lose your life to save it. And so churches that don't preach the entire gospel message are kind of like those in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, that say they have a form of godliness but they deny its power. Like they appear alive, but they're not. They're merely bones. They maybe even have tendons and flesh and skin, but there's no life in them. And so a church, it may be dead because it's not preaching truth or more because they're focused on legalism than Jesus, but sometimes a church is dead simply because they don't seek God. Like people can end up going through the motions. They can have a worship service that a lot of people leave having felt good, but they still miss what God desires. In fact, the purpose of meeting together is, well, to meet together. But in all the activity that they do, they don't seek God. There's no asking God, hey, what do you want from us? What direction should we go? What is your will for us? There's no desire to really please Him. They never ask, God, will your spirit just take over? And so his breath is not in them. And the church is trying to operate out of their own strength or their own abilities instead of the true power of God. And as we saw, a body without breath or spirit is not alive. Can these bones live? Like that was the question that was given to Ezekiel. And today, can churches that are dead come alive? And the answer is absolutely if they receive a new heart and a new spirit. And so let's pray for the worldwide church. Like, let's pray that we may be more than dry bones, that the bride of Jesus may not get stuck in legalism or a watered-down gospel, but that, they may, that we may seek His Spirit in everything. And may our focus really be to connect with Him and follow Him. And then let's even look at South Rock itself and pray that we would be a church that is alive, 
God, may your spirit be the one that guides us and directs us. May grace and truth be preached and lived out. May love and forgiveness be evident. May community be real. And may there be the meeting together with a purpose. May lives change as people realize that Jesus is the one who offers real life. And as all of this good is happening, may he be the one that receives the glory, not us. All of this can be our prayer as God has the power to bring life to churches. There's one more area that God can change, and that's God brings new life to individuals. New hearts and a new life is something that individuals can have. And as we looked about earlier, maybe sometimes we're only living for ourselves, or maybe certain people are trying to figure out how this life is supposed to work. Man, but everything else that they're trying, it just does not seem to work. And the culture is screaming out all these kind of truths, but its promises come up empty. And any pleasure that it brings is very much short-lived. And maybe the world has this person feeling dejected or discouraged or disillusioned or even deflated. Like ultimately, they just kind of feel dead. There's no joy, no hope, no real reason to keep going. And this person needs life. Or maybe someone once knew God, and man, they were following after Him. And even though they still know God and believe in Him, like they've become very stagnant, very complacent. Maybe they even kind of feel just stuck. And they don't really seek Him for answers. They don't go to Him with just daily problems. And they may even want to still be following, but there's not much, if any, time given to a relationship with Him. And sometimes if we stay in that space for a long time, we allow a coldness to creep into our lives with God. And without even knowing it, we're not experiencing life anymore. We've become dry bones, or our hearts have become stone and not one of flesh. But God wants to change us, and we need to respond. We have to allow Him to revive us, to be the one to place His Spirit in us. And then as that happens, we must make sure that our fleshly desires do not overtake the spiritual desires. Can these bones live? Man, just look around this room and there is story after story of how God took dry bones and he made them alive. And there's even individuals that other people may have looked at going, there is no way that that person would ever respond to God. But here they are. Because God's spirit is greater than what we often give him credit for. And life can be given to anyone who calls upon him. So nations and churches and individuals, God's promises to replace hearts of stone with hearts of flesh are very real. And he can make dry bones alive again. He can make us new. And even as you're listening, some of you guys might be thinking about these words from Ezekiel. And you remember a time that you were dry, but right now you're alive, which makes you thankful. But you're like, so what application is there for me in this sermon? Well, here's what I would tell you. First, I would say, don't stop seeking God and asking His Spirit to lead you. Because as we talked about helping people find and follow Jesus, follow is not something that you just check mark. You continue to do it every day for the rest of your life. But secondly, I would encourage you to be like Ezekiel was with the ministry that God gave him. And so cry over what makes God cry. Or see the possibility in every single person that you encounter. Or trust Him even if the situation seems completely impossible. 
or even just repeat his words and not your own, because that's where the real power lies. And for those of you guys who are listening today, they're like, oh, that new heart, that new spirit, that sounds like something that I want, that I want that change. It can happen today, and it's all because of Jesus. There was a man named James Harnish, and he tells the story of a woman in the Tampa area who received a great Christmas present. It came the week before Christmas, and in August, she had been diagnosed with severe cardiomyopathy, this rare heart disorder which causes the muscles of your heart to become inflexible. In fact, it's terminal, and the only hope is a heart transplant. And over the next five months, she had become progressively weaker, and more and more of her active life had been taken from her as she waited for this possibility of a new heart. And then one day at 2 a.m. in a cold morning, she was awakened and told that a new heart was on the way. By 4 a.m., she was in surgery. And when the pastor was visiting her a couple days later, they talked about this gift of a new heart that she had. And she said these words, you know, this was the second time that someone had died for me. I think about here's this physical heart that she had because of someone else's sacrifice, whether it was willing or not, just that aspect. But even there, the greater thing, this new heart that I have really comes because Jesus laid down his life for me, that I could have this new spirit and this new life. And so each of us can be made new because of Jesus. And if today is the day that you want that, then here in just a moment when we sing, I'd encourage you to chat with Sam online or connect up with someone at the decision point. But then also for the rest of us, let's not try to do this on our own. Let's not use our own strength, but let's connect with him. And so we're going to spend just a few moments of prayer. And so maybe you can pray for the nation and pray for all the nations. Maybe you can pray for our church or all the worldwide churches. Maybe there's something specific. God, maybe I feel stagnant or maybe I need you. Help me to have this new spirit this new heart. And so by yourself, with your family, it doesn't matter, but I want you just to spend some moment going, God, we're going to tap into your power and let you be the one that leads us so that we're not just dry bones. So spend a few moments praying and we'll continue on.